We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us for just a moment. Father, we come now to your word, and we need to hear from you. Uh, We don't just gather in this room this morning because we need words of inspiration. We certainly don't need my wisdom or my words. We need to hear from you. And so we pray now that you would come and speak to us. Uh, Speak to us wherever we find ourselves this morning, full of joy full of sorrow, full of belief, full of unbelief, full of despair, full of loneliness, full of tears and sadness that no one else in this room knows about. God, would you come and meet us now, we pray, and speak to us in such a way that our lives would be changed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are in a series uh, called Encountering the Risen Jesus, and for the next couple weeks, uh, just after Easter, we're looking at these different encounters that people have in the Gospels with the resurrected Christ, and the question that we are asking is, what does the resurrection actually mean for our lives? How does it actually change us? Easter is not just meant to be something that you go to and forget about. It is meant to be something that changes your life. And in today's passage, we read about Thomas's encounter with the resurrected Christ. Now, who's Thomas? Thomas was one of the 12 disciples. He had been with Jesus for three years. He had heard all of the teachings. He had seen all of the miracles. Thomas was a believer until he saw Jesus die. And now he is a doubter. And he says in this passage, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, last week, we saw someone uh, encounter Jesus in their fear. And this week, we find someone who encounters Jesus in their doubt. 
You know, doubt is something, it's something that we need to talk about in the church. If you've paid any attention to the statistics, you know that people have been leaving the church left and right. Did you know that a third of Christians who attended church before COVID have not come back? Did you know that in the year 2000, almost 50% of uh, the American population claimed to be practicing Christians? In the last 20 years, that number has been cut in half, and it is shrinking rapidly. During that same time, during the last 20 years, the, the percentage of people who are agnostic, atheist, or none, as kind of uh, sociologists are calling them, they don't identify with anything, has more than doubled. It's gone from 11 to almost 22%. Now, these statistics are not just about younger people, actually. They tell the story of boomers and of all sorts of older generations. And you see, one of the reasons that people are deconstructing their faith and leaving the church is because they have all of these doubts and questions, and the church does not seem to be speaking to those doubts and questions very well or speaking to them at all. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you are teetering on the edge of faith, uh, wondering if you want to continue on this journey with Jesus. You know, or maybe you've yet to start that journey, but you have all these doubts and questions that are, that are unresolved barriers for you. Or maybe, maybe you are like Thomas and you have been with Jesus for years, maybe even decades, but you have all of these doubts and questions that are unanswered. I want you to imagine right now that Jesus were to walk into this room. I mean, he's here. Jesus is spiritually present. He is in this room, but he is not physically present. But I want you to imagine that he were to come through those doors and walk into this room and sit down in the seat next to you. What would he say to you about your doubt? What would his words be to you? Have you ever wondered that? The beauty of this passage is that you do not have to wonder The beauty of this passage is you do not have to speculate what Jesus would say to you in your doubt. This passage tells us that he would actually say four things. Four words, actually. Four words for all of us in our doubt. And here's the first. Peace. That's the first thing Jesus says in this passage. He he says in verse 26, he walks in and he says, peace be with you. Now, this probably comes as a surprise to some of us, because some of us expect Jesus to sit down next to us and say, what's your problem? Why don't you have a little more faith? Why do you doubt so much? That's not what Jesus does. He walks in and he says, peace. And you see, friends, behold the patience of Jesus. Jesus does not condemn you in your doubt. Jesus does not shame you 
in your doubt. Jesus offers you his peace in the midst of your doubt. He is patient with us. And you know why Jesus is patient with us in our doubts? And notice that I'm saying our, like the pastor is not uh, immune from this. I've been a Christian for almost three decades. I spent four years in grad school getting what is called a Master's of Divinity. I think that is the most hilarious title in all of like education. A Master's of Divinity. You know everything there is to know about God. Actually, no. You come out with all sorts of questions and answers. Why is Jesus patient with us in our doubt? Here's why. Because he knows that doubt is a normal part of the Christian life. He knows that for every Christian, doubt is not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. And sometimes people think that when they become a Christian, they will never doubt again. Wrong. And that's very dangerous. Because when doubt comes, it can, if that's what you think, when doubt comes, it can send you into a spiritual tailspin. You think, well, if I really was a Christian... If this really was true for me, I, wouldn't, I would not be doing this. Friends, but, but nothing could be further from the truth. If you read any Christian biography that has withstood the test of time, you know what you find? You find story after story after story of people who doubted. I'll give you just one example. It's the true story of a little girl named Agnes. When Agnes was a little girl... She used to write in her journal all the time about how she wanted to love Jesus, how he had never been loved, and how she felt like God had a special calling on her life. And then as she grew older, you know what she did? She sold everything that she had, and she went to live and to minister amongst the poorest of the poor. And she continued to journal in those adult years. And you know what was in her journal? A lot of sentences about doubt. I'll give you just one example. Here's one terrible sense of loss, untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, it pains me deep down in my heart. Darkness is such that I really do not see. The place of God in my soul is blank. I feel that he does not want me. He is not there. Sometimes I just hear my heart cry out, my God, and nothing else comes. And the torture and pain of doubt, I cannot explain. Now, I might surprise you to learn that the person who wrote those words was Mother Teresa. She spent her life serving God and others. And her life was riddled with doubt. And so is basically every person in the Bible. You know what the Bible is? It is a book full of people who doubt. All of them. Abraham, Moses, David, every single one of the disciples. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, when the disciples meet the resurrected Christ, Matthew says that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. I mean, do you hear that tension? It is not worship or doubt. It is worship and doubt. It's not belief or unbelief. It is belief and unbelief. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. 
They exist side by side in all of us. We are all like the man in Mark chapter 9 who cries out to Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I mean, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that, that John puts this story about Thomas in his gospel? Aren't you glad that the Bible is honest about the messiness of faith? Aren't you glad that it is honest about the reality of doubt? Aren't you glad that Jesus is patient with you in your doubts? You guys are quiet this morning. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Jesus offers you his peace in the midst of your doubt? That's the first word, but there's another one. Here's the second one. Because the second thing that Jesus says to Thomas in verse 27 is he says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Let me translate this for you. The first thing that Jesus says to Thomas is, in his doubt is peace. You know what the second thing that he says to Thomas in his doubt is? Think. Think. See, Jesus is not just patient with us in our doubts, but he actually challenges us in our doubts. Thomas had demanded proof. Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas wants proof. You know why Thomas wants proof? Because dead people stay... Wow, you're quiet. Dead people stay dead. I guess not many people in, that, in this room know that. Dead people stay dead. Thomas demanded proof. And you see, now Jesus is giving it to him. He's saying, think, reason, look at the evidence. You know, this is not how most people think of faith. In his book, The God Delusion, uh, famed atheist and scientist Richard Dawkins says that faith is, the bl is blind trust in the absence of evidence. He says faith is blind trust in the absence of evidence. But do you see that in this passage, faith according to Jesus is the exact opposite. It is not belief despite the evidence, it is belief because of the evidence. You know, in Matthew chapter 28, when the women arrive at the tomb, the empty tomb on Easter morning, and they look in, you know what the angel says to them? The angel says, come and look at the place where they have put him. The angel does not say, don't go in there. Close your eyes and just believe, you know, wish upon a star. No, the angel says, come, examine, think it out. See, this is why Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Your mind. You have to use your mind. You've got to think. I hear people say this all the time. I cannot accept Christianity because, because, the, because the Bible you know, says this or that about some particular moral issue. Or I can't accept Christianity because, you know, I look at the church and I see all these hypocrites who are in it. Let me ask you a question. Just because the Bible says something that rubs you wrong, and just because people do really dumb stuff in the church, does that mean that therefore Christianity is not true? Does that mean that therefore Jesus could not have been raised from the dead? Of course not. 
See, if you're ever going to deal with your doubts, you're going to have to do the same thing that Thomas did. You're going to have to look at the evidence and think, and you're probably saying, well, how am I supposed to do that? Because Thomas could see Jesus, and Thomas could touch Jesus, and I can't do that. No. You know, but there was actually something that Thomas should have done before all of that. The text tells us that this is the second time that Jesus appeared to the disciples. Thomas missed the first appearance seven days earlier. And so that means that for the last seven days, the disciples have been saying to him, Thomas, we saw him. We touched him. He is alive. And Thomas is saying, I don't believe you. You see, Thomas was in the exact same place that we are. Today, he had access to the exact same thing that we have access to today. What is that? The eyewitnesses. I mean, for him, they were alive. For us, they're now written down in the Gospels. They are recorded. You say, well, how can I believe something that was written down so long ago? Let me ask you a question. How many things do you believe happened in history that you actually saw? I mean, do you believe that Columbus sailed to the Americas? Do you believe that Caesar was emperor of Rome? Almost everything that we believe from history is because of eyewitness testimony written down by reliable authors. And I wish we had time today to go into all of the reasons that scholars say the Gospels come to us as historically reliable documents. And there are all sorts of reasons to believe that this actually happened, that what they're telling us actually happened. We don't have time for it today. But if you want to deal with your doubt, you've got to immerse yourself in the eyewitnesses. You've got to immerse yourself in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in John. You've got to read these things. You've got to think. You've got to wrestle. You've got to see and then see what happens. One last thing on this. You cannot do this alone. You cannot do this alone. You know, Thomas missed the first appearance of Jesus. He was not with the disciples. You know where he was? He was all by himself. He was isolated in his doubt. This is a recipe for spiritual disaster. I have seen this so many times as a pastor. That most people who walk away from Christianity do not just wake up one morning and say, I don't believe anymore. No, it is more like a slow, gradual drift that comes on the heels of isolation and disconnection from other Christians. Do not make the same mistake that Thomas makes. Thomas lets his doubts drive him from Christian community. No, no, friends. Let your doubts and your questions drive you to Christian community. This is why we say almost every week that we want to be a church where people can belong before they believe. You cannot process your doubts alone. You've got to do it in community. Here's the third word. The third thing that Jesus says is stop doubting and believe. Now what What tone do you hear those words in? 
Do you hear them in an angry tone? Do you hear them in an exasperated tone? Do you hear them in a yelling tone? Stop it, Thomas. Just stop it and believe. You know, anybody who has little kids will tell you that is not a good strategy for dealing with kids. You don't get very far. And, you know, we we actually never grow out of that as adults. I mean, how well do you do when somebody talks to you like that? Does that have any effect on your life? Does it change you at all? No. And you see, some of us, we think this is how God talks to us in our doubt. But friends, it's not how God talks to you in your doubt. And it's not how, Tom, how God talks to Thomas in his doubt. And here's why we know that. We know it because literally in a single breath, Thomas's life is changed. See, if somebody just talks to you like that, it doesn't change you. They've got, to, they've got to talk to you in a different tone. And Thomas's life, in a single breath, is changed. He cries out, my Lord and my God. In a single instant, he goes from someone who is, who is doubting, and all his doubt is melted away, and he believes. Now, the question is, what changed him? You know, the most interesting thing about this passage is that Thomas has been demanding evidence the whole time. He's been saying, you know, unless I put my finger where the nails were, unless I put my hand in his side where he was pierced, and yet the moment that Jesus gives him opportunity to do it, he does not touch Jesus. The text text makes no mention of Thomas actually doing it. I mean, isn't that interesting? On the one hand, Thomas, he's been demanding evidence touching in order to believe, but on the other hand, he believes without touching. What's going on here? Here's what's going on. Our doubts are never as intellectual as they seem. They always masquerade as more intellectual than they actually are. Let me put it to you this way. Underneath our doubts and underneath our questions are personal experiences of pain and disappointment that cause us to wonder if God really is good and if God really does love us. See, that was the first doubt, by the way. The first doubt was actually in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve did not doubt the existence of God. No, the first doubt was they doubted the goodness of God. They doubted the love of God. And you see, the question is, is what is going to get you and me to actually believe that God loves us and that we can trust him in the midst of our pain and sadness that lies under the surface of so many of our questions? The answer is the same thing that got Thomas there is going to get us there. What got Thomas there? It was not evidence. It was not the evidence. It was not an intellectual argument. You know what it was? It was Jesus' wounds. It was the moment that he saw Jesus' wounds that his life was changed. You can tell a lot about a person from their wounds. I heard this story this week of a woman in Sweden. Her name's Emma Scholes, and she is the mother of Six young children. One night in September of 2019, she woke up in the middle of the night 
and her entire house was on fire. Her kids were trapped in their rooms. They couldn't get out. She, she, in the article that I read, she said, you know, I brought six kids into this world and I was determined to get six kids out of that house that night. She single-handedly carried each one of them individually out of the house, each time going back in to get another one, each time having to shield their bodies from the flames with her own body. She suffered severe burns on 93% of her body. She, She has scars all over her face, all over her arms and her hands and her back and her legs and her feet. Do you know what her children will think for the rest of their life every time that they look at those scars? They will think, my mom loves me. And you see, this is what Jesus wants to do with us this morning. This is what is really going to heal our doubt. It's not sophisticated intellectual arguments that defend the veracity of Christianity. It's not that. What's going to get you to believe and trust God? It's when you see his wounds for you. It's when you see what he was willing to do for you. Not just at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. That he went through the flames of hell for you. And friends, he still bears those scars. These scars will be on our risen Jesus for all of eternity for us to look at as a visual reminder of the depths of God's love for you. You know, only Christianity offers you a God like this. Only Christianity offers you a God with wounds. Edward Shalito wrote a poem called Jesus of the Scars, and he says this, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Jesus looks at you today and he says, believe. But he does not get you to believe by arguing you out of your doubts. He gets you to believe by loving you out of your doubts. He gets you to believe by saying, look what I've done for you. And that's why he invites us to this table, actually. This table is where we hear the fourth and final word of this passage. What is it? It is the word blessed. Jesus says in verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Who is Jesus talking about here? He is talking about anyone who would believe in him after his ascension. See, if you are a Christian, he's talking about you. And the word that Jesus has for you is the word blessed. You know what that means? It means favor. It means acceptance. It means embrace. It means that you have God's smile. And see, how do you get that? Some of us think the way that you get it is by having great faith. Now that sounds good 
but it is not very hopeful. Because if we are honest, every single one of us in this room, we come to this table this morning stumbling. (laughs) We come with weak, small, fragile faith. We doubt God's goodness. We question his love. We are suspect of his care and his ways. But you see, here's the great hope of this table. The great hope of this table is that God's blessing and his favor come to us, not because we have great faith, but because we have a great savior. Our assurance does not lie in the strength of our faith. It lies in the strength of the object of our faith, which is Christ himself. We are weak, but he is strong. We are faithless, but he is faithful. Our grip on him is shaky, but his grip on us is eternally secure. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, remember therefore, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you, it is Christ. And it is not your joy in Christ that saves you, it is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, that, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not to your hand with which you are grasping Christ. Look to Christ. Look not to your hope, but to Jesus, the source of your hope. Look not to your faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is, it is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to your soul. Rest to your soul and rest to your doubt. Because Jesus says peace. He is patient with us in our doubts. And Jesus says, think. He challenges us in our doubts. And he says, believe. He loves us out of our doubts. And he says, blessed. Because he smiles on us even in our doubts. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, we believe and we ask that you would help our unbelief. Thank you that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. Help us to see in this bread and in this cup the scars that you bear for us because of your great love for us. Help us to see it so that we might trust you and follow you and give ourselves to you more fully, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.